0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel.
1: Lessons in Tanya the Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman
2: of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: So we are in the middle of chapter 6, page 1062. The last three chapters he was explaining how is it That people can sin. Even a sin which the penalty is curse, your soul should be cut off. And nevertheless, we find that people who sin do these severe sins. And yet, they live long and sweet lives. They're not cut off at the age of 50, at the age of 60. And they lead very long and productive lives. That was a question that he asked in chapter 4. And he says, in order to understand this, first we have to understand why is the soul cut off? That's what we learn in chapter 4 or 5. Why is the soul cut off? And it's not a punishment God is getting back at you. God is taking revenge. It's a natural consequence. Because a Jew receives his life from Hashem's name. Yud Vavke, vav And a Jew, and he went into great detail, every soul has within it the Yud of Hashem's name, and has in it the He of Hashem's name, and the Vav of Hashem's name, and the He of Hashem's name. And then he said that even when the soul comes into the body, interfaces with the body, nevertheless the soul remains connected, not only at its source is it divine, but even it receives its life force from the divine breath. And even, even the level of the soul that, in, that enters into the body and is created through Hashem's speech, but even that is also remains connected like a rope that remains attached, or remains connected. And therefore, when you cut off the rope, when you do a sin where the Torah says you cut off, you've cut off the rope, you've cut off your connection. So you no longer, no longer are, are, you can't sustain your life because you've cut off, cut off your, from your source of life. And that's the difference in the Jewish soul and everyone else. Everyone else can sin, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. Because they receive their life sustenance through the external part of Hashem's name. It's But the Jew who receives his life sustenance from Hashem's breath, from the inner, from the inner aspect of even the speech, the inner aspect of speech. So a Jew, while the temple exists, it's impossible for a Jew. Even a Jew who sins. But even the sinner receives his, he's a Jew. And he receives his life sustenance from the divine. And therefore if he cuts himself off from the divine, he has cut himself off from the source of life. He can no longer live. So yes, he can schlep along till the age of 50 or 60 because the impression of the original divine energies could sustain him. But at the end of the age of 50 or 60, he's completely cut off, completely divorced. He said, this is only true before the temple was destroyed. He says, but after the temple was destroyed, so the Jewish people were downgraded they no longer receive their life force and their life sustenance from the divine it's not ostensibly divine it's not openly divine and they receive the life sustenance like everyone else of course there's a difference between the Jew and the non-Jew even in time of exile because ultimately the Jew still retains his, his essence which is divine and godly but that divine and godly energy is hidden now and concealed within nature so externally, it appears to be that he's receiving his life source from the same way everyone else receives a life source, in a disconnected way. So the light is like disconnected, it's, it's, it's not clear, it's, and therefore it's distorted. It's like when you don't see things clearly and the, the picture gets distorted. So therefore you get a distorted reality that the Jew appears to be receiving his life sustenance just like, just like the non-Jew. And he can operate totally in a natural way. You don't see the immediate divine connection. In the times of the temple, it was impossible for a Jew, even a sinner, to receive his life sustenance in any other way than directly from the divine. And therefore, if you sinned, you got cut off. It was a consequence. You couldn't live past 50 or 60. But after the destruction of the temple, once the life sustenance of a Jew now is received through is, is received through the life, the, the uh, energy is, is distorted from the klipa. Now it comes into the level of the klipa of the shell, klipa of Neuge, before the Jew received his life sustenance directly from the tenth sphere the divine emanations. Even the divine emanations of the lowest level of Asiyah, of, uh, the world of creation, of action, But nevertheless, it's still the divine emanation. So therefore, there's no distortion. There's a direct godly link, a direct godly connection. And if you sin, and especially a severe sin, you completely cut yourself off and you die. You drop dead at the age of 50 or 60. You couldn't live a day long. But today, that that life energy and that life sustenance now is distorted. It comes through in a distorted way. And it, it goes through. It's enclosed and hidden and concealed within the klippa, the shell, so the light is like distorted, diffused, distorted, and therefore you get a distorted picture. It appears to be that the Jew is living like everyone else. You operate by laws of nature, purely by laws of nature, and therefore even though you disconnected yourself from godliness, you've you've sinned and you've disconnected yourself from godliness, but nevertheless, that energy is still able to, to sustain you, because the energy is now diffused and distorted, by enclosing itself in the level of Klippal. Which explains, it's a very, very powerful thing, I'll be saying it, but it explains a very interesting Talmud. The Talmud says in Mayat Katnum, that Yosef turned 60, he was blind, when he turned 60 he made a party. Why did he make a party? Because, thank God, if you sinned, and you did a sin which you get caught. you die by the age of 60. Since I'm alive for my birthday party, 60th birthday party, that means I didn't sin. So the Abaya asked him, very nice. Doesn't mean that a person who turns 60 hasn't sinned. If you sin tomorrow, you're going to die the next day. So, you're not, you're not scot-free. Yes, you didn't sin in the past. Why are you making such a big party? You still, you still have another 60 years to go, 220. You can sin tomorrow and die on the spot. So, why, why are you making such a big party? So, Abiyasav says, listen, at least halfway, I'm halfway free. <laughs> at least I know the curse of dying is 60. I'm free. So, the, the Rebbe asks, very very puzzling piece of Talmud. We don't find any anyone else in the Talmud who made a party when they turned sixty. When we know when you finish a track date every Monday and Thursday, people someone finishes a track date, you make a party. We should find, we should have found in the whole Talmud that every single Talmudic rabbi is making a party There were many rabbis who lived beyond sixty. You can't say it. all Talmudic rabbis Chas Shalom, uh, passed away before sixty. Many rabbis lived a long life. So why didn't anyone else make a party before sixty? Only Rabbi who was blind, and it was not murder How about the the tanoi. And why didn't we find the shulchan aruch and the code of the Jewish law? I say, you turn sixty, make a party. You didn't die because he, because he had cars. Also, what's the big party? What's the difference if you die before sixty, if you die if you sin after sixty? I mean, until the last breath, you don't know if a person is going to sin or not going to sin. So, what what's the big party? So the Rebbe explains, based on what we learned last week in the Tanya, in Chapter 6. He says, the reason no one made a party, and we don't find anyone else making a party, is because the Alta Rebbe says that the the consequence of curse, that you died at the age of 50, 60, only happened in times of the Temple. Because in the times of the temple, the Jewish people received their life sustenance. Their physical life sustenance. They received their health and the life sustenance was directly and obviously connected with the divine. There was no distortion. The Jewish people were on a high level. And even the individual Jew. He was a Jew. And his life sustenance came directly through holiness. And therefore the moment you sinned, you died. At least till the age of 50 or 60. And then you couldn't live any longer. Just like we find in the Torah, like not of an When you come so close to Hashem, the slightest thing hurts you. When you're living in a very, very intense environment, when you're so connected, the slightest disconnection has an immediate effect. When you're living in, When you're an astronaut living in a, in a capsule in outer space, the slightest thing, one little hole in your suit... And you're finished. <laughs> you can't live anymore. It's not a punishment. But I listen to everything. But okay, you have a little hole. to finished. It's all over. You can't sustain yourself. When you're living in such an environment, such a, an environment, the smallest thing can have such an impact. So, when, the Jew, when there's a temple, that means our Shem is present, the Shekhinah is present, the God's presence is manifest, is open and obvious, the Jewish people and every individual, Jew, every last Jew, receives a sustenance from the Divine. And therefore, if you sin a sin, which the Torah says curse, it's physically impossible for you to survive. But however, after the temple is destroyed. What does it mean the temple is destroyed? It's not just a building. That means that the Hashem's presence is no longer manifest in this world. So the divine flow, the divine energy is now enclosed and shrouded and concealed within the clothes of Noiga. So therefore it's distorted. It's like You get a distorted view, a distorted picture. So therefore, now it appears to be. And we'll see why it only appears to be. It appears to be you can live like everyone else. You can live by the laws of nature. You don't have to be connected to your Jewishness. You don't have to be connected to godliness. You can live. You can thrive. You can succeed and live many happy years, past 56. So therefore, the fact that a person lived to 60 doesn't prove anything. So why, why make a party? There's no point in making a party. Because today you can live past 60 and it doesn't mean anything. Maybe, maybe God forbid, I, I did violate the sin that gets cursed. And nevertheless, I'm still able to physically live past my 60th birthday. Of course, the Jewish years are not measured by the passport. The previous Ababichur Rebbe would say you, know, you can have a 90 years old, a year old on his passport, but emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and Jewishly, he's like a five year old child. <laughs> he never grew up. He's still playing with his toys. But, but physically, you can live past 60. So, why did Rabbi Yitzv, The question is, why did Rabbi Yosef make a party? So, the reason Rabbi Yosef made a party, because Rabbi Yosef was unique, because the Talmud says at the end of Tractor Hurius, the Talmud tells us that when the dean, the head of the yeshiva, passed away, and they had a discussion who should take over, there were two candidates, Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi. Each one of them was unique had a unique strength. Rabbi's strength was, he can tear up mountains. He was so deep and so profound. Whatever he learned, he like went to the source and uprooted mountains with his brilliance and his depth. He uprooted mountains. He challenged all your assumptions. He had like a wild mind, a powerful, deeply penetrating mind. Exciting mind. Rabbi Yitzv, however, did not have the same depth as Rabbi, but his unique strength is... That he was Sinai, he knew the whole Torah. He had it like in his mind, like a. He had the whole Torah in his mind, it was so clear, he knew every single thing. So the conclusion was who is superior? Who should be the new deen? Who should be the new head? So the consensus was Rabbi Yosef. Because everyone needs, you have to have the knowledge, the information, the comprehensive knowledge, knowing the whole entire Torah, knowing everything clearly and accurately is more important, outweighs the value of being able to uproot mountains so they came to Rabbi Yosef and they said we decided that you're going to be the next next Hedin, Rabbi Yosef refused out of modesty he says, no, Rabbah, me look, you have Rabbah so they went to Rabbah, he said Rabbi Yosef refuses." so they pointed him to Shiva. so he says for the next 22 years they never had to call a blood letter, doctors used to heal by letting blood they never had to call a doctor. That Rabbi Yisuf's household for the next twenty-two years, because of his modesty, because he was so modest, so he was physically blessed that no one got sick in his family for the next twenty-two years. Therefore, what do we see from this? So Rabbi Yisuf realized from this that he he and he is receiving his life force directly from holiness. Because if you see it, even translated physically, that physically he was so healthy and vibrant, that it was so unusual, the Talmud makes a note of it, 22 years, you shouldn't have to have a house call of a doctor once. It's unheard of. didn't need insurance even for 22 years. So when he was, it was so obvious that his life force came from godliness. And therefore, since he was so vibrant, he was so so Jewish and so vibrant, so healthy spiritually, therefore it immediately translated to the physical. So obviously, that Yosef saw that his life, just like in the times of the temple, for him nothing changed. Even after the destruction, he lived after the destruction of the temple, hundreds of years later, but nevertheless, he received his life force directly from holiness. And therefore, had he sinned, He would have died. Since his whole life force is obviously Jewish and godly, had he sinned, he would have died. And therefore, since he lived, he celebrated his 60th birthday, he made a huge celebration. And it says Rabbi Yosef was unique. Why was Rabbi Yosef blind? Why did Rabbi Yosef become blind? Rabbi Yosef became blind because he couldn't control. You know, the Torah says, don't look, don't wander, don't look in your eyes. Your eyes, is one of the six constant mitzvot that a person is obligated 24-7. Don't follow your eyes, don't just let your eyes wander, because when your eyes see and it evokes your your heart, Rabbi Yisif couldn't contain himself. So he couldn't control that he shouldn't look around. So therefore he prayed so because he wanted so much to protect himself that's why he became blind so therefore since Rabbi Yosef was lacking the main ingredient that leads a person to sin which is when the eye sees and the heart wanders therefore he was almost confident that even after 60 he has nothing to worry about because he's 60 years older and he can't see so what? There's no temptation. <laughs> he doesn't see. He's blind. You know, till sixty he was okay. So he he, he no longer had. It wasn't tempting. The world lost its hold on him. So yes, no one is guaranteed till the last breath of your life. In you no guarantees. But he says, at least half I can celebrate. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I can at least fifty percent I can say. I can bet fifty percent that I'll be okay for the rest of my life. If I haven't, if I pass the first sixty years, and I'm blind and I, I, I can't even see, so nothing in the world could really tempt me because I can't see. So therefore, and I'm sixty years old, and my whole life was immersed in holiness, and the fact that I lived to sixty, and so you know, I, there's no guarantees, but there's not there's not a lot to worry. It's a safe bet if you're a better. It's a safe bet to say that Rabbi Yisuf will not <laughs> sin uh, and, and not, be, not become obligated for curse for the rest of his life. That's why he says, at, so it's, it's worthwhile to celebrate. I can already celebrate. It's not 100%, but at least half I have. So it's wor- worth celebrating. So that's what we learned last week. Now he's going to explain that not only is it possible for a Jew to receive his sustenance and live past 60 after the destruction of the temple. But he said that that many Jews live and they live sweet lives. They flourish. They're successful. How do you explain that? Why should they flourish? Why should they be so successful? he says the answer is now, now, that, that's what he's going to explain now he says on the contrary not only could they live past 60 but today because of the exile because of our unique situation that we are in today when a Jew sins not only could he survive but he actually flourishes he rises to the top because of the sin he becomes a head he becomes successful he becomes a leader Why? Page 1062, in fact.
2: In fact, not only is it possible for the sinner to receive his nurture from Klippa as do animals and other living beings, but indeed, with even greater emphasis and force. For as explained in the Holy Zohar, Parshat Prakruti, all the benevolence and vitality granted mortal man, while he commits evil in the eyes of Hashem, in deed or speech, or by musing on sin, and so on, through any of the three soul garments of thought, speech, and action,
1: etc., etc., uh, is because there's two types of of uh, thought. If you're thinking of sinning, that's one level of thought. But then there's another level of thought. You're not thinking of sinning, but just imagining, just thinking, having a lewd thought, even if you don't plan to actually act on it, carry it out. But just the fact of having a a sinful thought is already a negative, is already a sin. And you receive your life sustenance at that moment from, from the opposite of holiness. Okay?
2: All this life force issues to him from the various chambers of the Sitra Akra described there in the Holy Zohar. The
1: Torah says why was Joseph um, prison? Because he says he was combing his hair. You know, Joseph was beautiful, he was stunningly beautiful. And I so say he was he was very into his uh style, <laughs> his his dress and his and so So, at that moment when a person a person is thinking of anything other than Hashem, you receive your sustenance from the opposite of holy so therefore, as a consequence, he brought upon himself the wrath of his his, his, his mistress Potiphar's wife. that was a consequence because of taking all that holy energy and um, at that receiving his life sustenance. Other than, other, from, other than holiness, he was receiving it from the opposite side. So whatever a person does, any thought, any speech, any action, whatever you do, at that moment you're receiving a life sustenance. The question is, it's your choice, where are you going to get your life sustenance from? you get your life sustenance from holiness? Or you you get your life sustenance from the opposite of holiness? But it's one or the other, there's no neutral. You have to make a stand, you have to make a decision. You will be sustained. You have energy. You have life. Where's your life coming from? It's up to you. What's
0: the effect on your life? Did you already study
1: it? What's what the effect on your life?
0: Depending on which side.
1: Which know, side you know. receive, yes. Because everything has an effect on your life. You know, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. You know, in the case of Yosef HaTzadik, he was so connected that he saw it immediately. Um... We don't see it, but of course, everything has an effect on the soul. <laughs> everything we do is registers and leaves a mark. You know sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't see it, sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't feel it. But the fact is, everything we do leaves a mark. It says, "The most wicked person in the world, even Yeravan Benavat, who sinned and caused, caused others to sin, after he'll get his punishment for everything else that he did, or Menashe, the worst sinners. They will also be judged on why they did not make air of Tafshilin. It says if Yom falls out before Shabbos, you have to bake, cook an egg and put a piece of matzah. One of the light rabbinic enactments. So after he, he's, he's been done, you know they, they punish him and they, and they brought him to, to task for, for idolatry and for adultery and for murder, for the worst things in the world. Now that's taken care of. Now let's talk about why didn't you make that egg and that matzah before Yamtiv? Why didn't you fulfill the mitzvah tafril? But that's a minor detail. You know, we, let's worry about the big things. Yeah. But everything we do, the smallest to the greatest, every negative thought that we have, every negative speech that we make, everything that we do leaves an impression. Has an impact. We learned in chapter eight in the first part of Tanya, lessons in that even what we eat and we don't eat for the sake of heaven, leaves a mark on the soul. And clogs up the soul, and contaminates the soul, and, and has an effect on the soul. That's why the soul has to go through a cleansing process. Everything that we do has a mark, has an impression. The soul is so sensitive. It's like a little child. Everything that you do to the child, the baby, is this baby is so impressionable. Everything that you do leaves a mark for life. Either a scar, or you set it straight for life. <clears throat> the soul is so sensitive, so delicate, and so sensitive, everything impacts the soul. Everything has an effect. The, the slightest thing. We can't even imagine what the effect is. Al Rebbe once told one of his Hasidim, his Hasidim in the town, there was this Hasid who went bad, you know, he went sour and uh, he lost his stopped observing, and he really fell very low. And the Hasidim tried to bring him close, and tried to, they would invite him to come to the synagogue, and they had a Hasidic gathering, they would invite him in, but after months went by, they didn't see any result. He came, he enjoyed the kugel, he enjoyed the love and the camaraderie and the company, but, (laughs) you know, no change. So the were disheartened. So they asked the Alter Rebbe, are we wasting our time? I mean, yeah, we put in all this effort and energy and we don't see any results. Alter Rebbe says, if as a result of you bring, drawing him closer, instead of sinning ten times a day, he only sinned nine times a day, he can't imagine the tremendous impact and the tremendous pleasure that that gives to Hashem. So, you know, we are finite, so we don't appreciate it. But when you're talking about the infinite, the slightest thing weighs so much, has so much impact, so much import. So we don't feel the difference, but the soul feels a difference. So the smallest thing has an effect. So any speech, any thought, any action which comes from comes from the opposite of holiness leaves a scar in the soul. Has an effect, has an impact on the soul.
0: The choice is man's whether to derive his nurture from the chamber of the Sitra Afra or from the chambers of holiness, from which flow all good and holy thoughts and so on. When one's thoughts, words, and deeds are wholesome and
1: holy, he receives his nurture from holiness. When his thoughts, words, and deeds are evil, he derives his nurture from the chamber of the Sitra So here the al is saying something very powerful. He's saying that although we're in the time of exile, And we just said earlier, now that the temple is destroyed, the holiness, the flow of energy, now has to go through and enclose itself in the cloth of the Noga, the shell, which distorts the light. So how can you say that a person has the choice to receive his life force from holiness? We don't have that choice. Our life force is received from the shell. Before the destruction, we received our life force directly from the ten Svirat, from the ten divine emanations. But now we're receiving our life force from, through this shell of, of, of Klippa. So how can you say we have a choice of receiving our life force directly from holiness? So the Alter Rebbe is saying, yes, we do have a choice, because, the Rebbe explains, because, yes, true, the energy goes through the shell, the Klippa. But the shell could be like clothes that are completely nullified to the wearer. That it's completely nu- nullified and it's just a conduit to allow the flow of holiness. It doesn't, have to be, it doesn't necessarily have to distort. The shell is a klipatnoga, noga which has good in it and, and, and you can see through. It's possible to see through. So it depends on the person if we are connected to holiness, if we choose to connect with holiness and to think like a Jew and act like a Jew and speak like a Jew, then the klipa becomes completely subservient and nullified before, before holiness. So it doesn't block, it doesn't conceal, it doesn't hide, and the holiness is no longer distorted. If not, if we choose to speak and act and think in a non-Jewish way against the Torah, Then the Klippa becomes a distortion. And then it distorts the light. But even in exile, we have that choice. Because the essence of a Jew is always holy. Even when it goes through the distortion of the Klippa, the essence of a Jew remains holy. A Jew will always be different. A Jew is holy. Whether he likes it or not, wants it or not, whether he's aware of it or not, doesn't change the fact. It's a reality. But it's up to us. Even in exile, we can receive our sustenance. We can, we can... The klipa could become subservient and therefore be nullified before, before the, the energy that it contains. And then it doesn't block the energy. It doesn't hide the energy. It doesn't conceal the energy. But if God forbid we choose to think and speak and act in the ways that are against the Torah, then the energy is distorted. You know, it's like the analogy... When you write, when you read, when you're reading something, the words and letters contain the idea, the thought. But you know, you don't even notice the words and the letters. You just read the content. You're not paying attention, especially if you're speed reading. You're listening to the content. I don't know if you saw that was going around the, well you don't have internet but they have <laughs> it was going around the internet where they wrote a whole paragraph and all the letters like every word only had two of the original letters it was like first and the last, first and, the last. and everything else was and yet you're able to read it no problem you know exactly what it was saying it didn't matter because you don't, you're not listening to the letter you, you, you're reading the content someone to whom English is Chinese he doesn't understand all he sees is the letters then the letters become very prominent. When we read Chinese, all we see are the letters. We have no clue what it's saying, what the content is. And thus, it's very funny letters and strange letters. So letters are like, it's like a clipper, it, it hides, it conceals, but it depends. When it's clear and it's see-through, when the content is clear and the content, then the letters become completely nullified. Who even notices the letters? Who's even looking at the letters, paying attention? I see the content. So the letters are there, but they don't block They become completely nullified to the canton. And then they become elevated. The klippa becomes elevated. So like when you eat, and you eat for holiness, it becomes elevated. When you say words, and you use your words for learning and for davening, it becomes elevated. So then the klippa becomes elevated to holiness. So that's our choice. We can elevate the klippa and transform it into holiness. But if we speak and act and think in a way that's not Jewish, not kosher, then the klipa becomes a distortion, a concealment. Then it's like reading Chinese. We don't see the inner content. And it becomes completely distorted. But that is our choice. Even in times of exile, we have a choice. We can transform the clip. For quote,
2: one opposite, the other did God make. Every manifestation of holiness has a counterpart in
0: the klipa and the sitra afra.
1: Every speech, every action, every thought, we have a choice. It can come from Kedusha, from Holiness, and come from the opposite. It can be a wholesome thought, or it could be a degrading thought. It could be a wholesome speech, or it could be a degrading speech. It could be a wholesome action, it could be a degrading action. The act of eating either could be ennobling, or it could be degrading. Same act. But God created plus and minus. God created the equal balance. You can go this way, you can go that way. It's directly commensurate with each other. So that's our choice. Continue. The chambers.
2: chambers of the chambers have the Sitra that rather vitality from the issue of the tenth sphere of the Naga that is embodied within them and, and that descends into them by. And this Kripa of Naga is comprised of good and evil, as in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as is known to those who are not in the Kabbalah. Since the free good of, of Noyga is composed of both good and evil, it serves as a source after a multitude of descents. where the evil of the chambers of the Sitra Akra,
0: the reservoir from which a man is refueled when he sins in thought, speech,
1: or action. So Klippat Noyga is not neutral. But Klippat Noyga can go either way. Since it has good and it has evil, it can go either way. If you do good, then you've elevated, you've transformed. If you do bad, then it descends into pure evil. So, that's up to us. And it can go either way. So, the life force itself, the life force of a Jew, goes through the isn't clothed in klipat noyga. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. We can elevate it. We can transform it. But when we choose to do bad, unwholesome, and to speak and to think bad, then we've degraded it we've taken this energy and now that becomes a source and we receive our life sustenance even lower from actually the palace of impurity of evil then the life force from the klipa now is even degraded even lower and that's where a Jew now receives a sustenance and therefore now he's going to explain it. and therefore this is all leading up he's trying to explain why not only could a Jew live and survive past 60 But a Jew actually thrives. When a Jew sins, and he does the ultimate sin of Karas, not only do we see that he survives, but we see that he thrives, and he flourishes, and he's successful. Tremendously successful. Why? What's the logic? So he's explaining now the logic. He's explaining. Okay, the Alta Rebbe now resumes.
0: The author then now resumes his explanation of why a simple person not only receives his vitality from the other side, like other living creatures, but in fact does so to an even greater degree. Since through his freely chosen thoughts, words and deeds, it was the stare himself who replenished the reservoirs of the group thought with life force of divine origin it is he who will now have to swallow the lion's
1: share of those reservoirs. So he's going to explain that the Jew is essentially holy, and the Jew is essentially connected to holiness. And when the Jew sins, what happens? He takes this holiness, and he schleps it into the world of the Tumma, of impurity. So you've taken this holiness, this infinite life source and energy, which transcends any, anything that exists in this world, and you, you've taken this energy, and now you've infused the Klippa with this energy. So because a Jew is so plugged in, because a Jew is so connected, so when you attach yourself to the clipper, you recharge the clipper. You give it a boost of energy. A fresh zest. A fresh energy that it never had, and could never have, on its own. Because clipper on its own doesn't have energy. Clip on its own is a shell. It's a dead man walking. There's nobody home. There's nothing there. It's a shell. It's a charade. Mirage, it doesn't have any real sustenance, it doesn't have any real energy. The whole clip is, like you said earlier in the beginning of the chapter, it's like Hashem throws it behind his back. You know, like, like you hold your nose and I can't stand looking at you even. I'm just, I, but since I need you, it's like some people in your organization that you need. You can't stand them, but you need them. So you hold your nose and you say, here, take But please, it's enough that I have to give you and I have to keep you around. I don't want to give you a penny extra than I need and I don't want to keep you around a minute extra than I need. So their whole life sustenance is limited. Hashem hates klipa. Hashem hates arrogance. He hates ego. Why does Hashem sustain it? In order to give us freedom of choice. In order to fulfill the divine purpose. to test us, whatever. But Hashem gives them a very limited energy. And they don't have any energy on their own comes along the Jew, who's plugged in, who's connected, who has this infinite connection, infinite energy, who's an end in himself, comes along the Jew, and suddenly the Jew is pulling his thoughts and his speech and his action and his life energy, is now, he has pulled it into the toilet, he's pulled it into the place of Klippa. He gave him a shot in the arm, a surge of energy. They got more energy than they, they, than they can ever imagine. They can gnash on this energy. They can gnash off, the, off the Jews' energy. This klipa has to nash, can only gnash over holiness. Could only receive sustenance, more sustenance, only from holiness. Like worms don't touch junk food, because <laughs> there's nothing there. Synthetic food is not going to sustain a worm. A living thing needs, goes after good food, healthy food, wholesome food. Because there it can nourish itself, it can sustain itself. Kalippa only goes after holiness. Because holiness, wholes- holiness is life. It's the source of life connected to the source of life. A Jew is so plugged in, so connected to the source of life, when Klippa notches off the Jew, whoa! Oh, does he have a feast? It's a royal feast. That's why they work so hard on getting a Jew to sin. That's why the to works so hard on getting a Jew to sin. Because he knows the power. When a Jew sins, you're taking this holiness, the source of life, this infinite life, and you're pulling it into the Klippa, he gets a whole new A whole new surge of life, a whole new surge of energy. So, because the Jew is the one who energizes the clipper and takes the clipper to new heights, new levels, a new vitality, evil receives a whole is resurrected, receives a whole new life. That's why the Jew is rewarded; he's made the CEO you brought in all this profit, you brought in all this energy. So you're going to be the one who's going to reach the benefits. Initially. Only initially. Of course, long term, it doesn't work. Long term, the clipper turns on the Jew. And with a ferociousness, and with a vengeance, and with a hatred, it's implacable. But initially, at least, while the party is going. Because the party can't last forever. Eventually, it all crashes. Because there's no reality here. It's all a distortion. It's a lie. Klippa has no life. It's just stealing the life from holiness. Which is the antithesis of Klippa. But because while the party is going, while the fun is happening... So the Jew gets rewarded. You're the one who, you're the reason why we're having this party. You brought in all this energy, so you're going you're gonna to receive the benefits and the rewards. And that's why the Jew is able to thrive and flourish. A Jew is completely disconnected from his Jewishness. He's even a self-hating Jew. He has completely cut himself off from his people. But because he is the one who giving all this energy to the negative forces to negativity and he sustains them in a way that they could never never be possible on their own therefore he rises to the top he thrives in this environment and he flourishes and not only does he live past 60 or 70 or 50 or 60 but he actually lives a sweet life a, a vibrant life successful life he thrives and flourishes. And now he's bringing the analogy of a rope, but different than the way he described it in chapter 5. An entirely different twist on the analogy of the rope. Pun intended.
0: Scripture states, Jacob is the rope of God's heritage. The analogy compares the soul of the Jews to a rope with one end above and the other end below. When one the lower end, he will move and pull after it, the higher end as well, as far as it can be pulled.
1: If you remember, in chapter 5, he said the exact opposite. He said that the lower end of the rope, which is the level of the soul when the soul enters the body, is tied up and connected to its source through the rope. He says the end of the rope is connected to the body, your physical life, when your soul enters the body to, to animate your body, your conscious life, and that's tied up and connected to the head of the rope, which is the source of the soul. And therefore... When you sin, he says, you cut yourself off from the source. Here he's saying the exact opposite. Not that the end of the rope receives its sustenance from the top of the rope. Here he's saying how the top of the rope is affected by the other end, by the other top of the rope. He says one end, one head to another head. One end to another They're both heads. And it works two ways. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. That the soul receives its life force from its source. But but we are at the end of the rope. And if we cut ourselves off, then the connection is gone. Here he's saying that it's a two-way street. And the head of the rope is affected by the other head of the rope, which is Us, where the soul is enclosed in the body. And so much so, that even when a Jew sins, and he commits a sin where he cuts himself off, and he said in the last chapter, once he cut cut himself off, the rope is cut. He says, no. The rope is still attached. So much so, that by you pulling your end of the rope, you're schlepping all that holiness, and all that infinite divine energy, you're schlepping it into, not only the klipa of Noga, you're schlepping it into the place of... Impurity and death, spiritual death. But you said the rope is cut. He's saying there's a, there's even when a Jew sins, and even the self-hating Jew, and even when a Jew sins and his rope is cut off, but there's a level of a rope that's never cut off. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And that connection can never ever leave. That connection is always there. Like we we explained we discussed last time, a great length, it's like, even a Rosh Hashanah, that falls out on Shabbat, and the inner part of Hashem's energy, the divine energy, leaves. But nevertheless, Hashem's pleasure in creation, leaves in the night of Rosh Hashanah. Um, The speech of Hashem is elevated back, the thought of Hashem, which is enclosed in the speech now elevated back to its source but nevertheless the external speech always remains, <coughs> never changes the world doesn't cease to exist there's a level where it never ceases to exist and so too there's a level of Jewishness that never ceases to exist even when a Jew is spiritually cut off and even in times of exile the essence of a Jew is still divine the essence of a Jew is still Godly, and all the effects that sin had when a Jew, on a Jew, during the the, the existence of the Temple, nothing changes. The effects are existent today also. When you sin, you cut the, you cut off your soul from its life source, and you cut yourself off from the divine breath of life. But nevertheless, the essence of the Jew always remains. A Jew is a Jew, is a Jew. and therefore, since that essential relationship remains. So the rope always remains connected. And therefore, by you tugging your end of the rope, you have an effect on the other end of the rope. So when the Jew sins, it's not you're cut off, and therefore I'm like a guy, and therefore it doesn't matter what I do now. No. Even when you're cut off, and even if you've degraded yourself, all that you're accomplishing is you're taking that holy holiness, the top of the rope and you're just bringing it right into the toilet you're taking all that energy and you're dumping it into the garbage you're taking all that energy and you're degrading it but that energy is there and whatever you do you schlep that energy with you Hashem is with you whatever you do whatever you say and whatever you think that we don't have control of we can't divorce ourselves from our people We cannot cut ourselves off from our people. We can't disconnect ourselves. We're so plugged in, we can't disconnect ourselves. And therefore, whatever we do has consequences. And even if we continue to sin for many, many decades, every time you sin, every time a Jew sins, you're schlepping holiness, and you're taking holiness and schlepping it down into the klippa. And thereby, not only sustaining the klippa, but energizing it, and giving it a fresh, a fresh burst of energy, a fresh lease on life. Otherwise the klippa would die on its own. The klipa has no sustenance on its own. It's like a leech. Clipper can't live on its own. It can only leech off your blood. Clipper klippa can only leech off holiness. When a Jew sins, the leeches off the Jew. What would happen if every single Jew in the world would stop sinning?
2: It
1: would be no more clip? Mashiach would come. We learned in Tanya. Chapter Thirty Seven. There would be no more clip, because clipper has no life of its own. On its own, it has a very limited life, and it's a shell. And we sustain it. When a Jew who has choice chooses, even in exile, we have choice. When we choose to live an unwholesome life and to act and speak and think in a way that's unwholesome. We draw down that negative that, that holiness into negativity and we give a new lease of life of negativity. And because we sustain the klipa, that's why we gnash off that new life, that that burst of energy. And that's our reward.
2: It is exactly so with regard to the root of the soul of man and its source in the latter hay mentioned above. Through one's evil deeds and thoughts, one draws down the life force issuing from the latter hay into the chambers of a citra acra, as it were, from which he receives his thoughts and deeds. Although a person is punishable by excision, has severed his rope, so to speak, he is still able to draw down the life force issuing from the latter hay into the chambers of the Sutra akra. The reason, as is, is, is explained elsewhere in the literature of Hasidus, is that even after the rope is severed, some external vestige of it survives. And it is through this remnant that the life force of holiness is drawn down into the chamber chambers of the Klipo, Because it is he, the sinful individual, who draws the flow of vitality into the chambers of the Sitra Akra, it is he who receives the greatest portion from them, in even greater measure than do other living creatures. Nevertheless, it is explained in the literature of Hasiba that ultimately the sinner will cease to draw vitality from this flow, for the Sitra Akra can serve a Jew as a source only temporarily.
1: It's a distorted reality. A Jew <coughs> is holy. And a Jew can only receive his life force through holiness. So when a Jew is receiving his life force from the klipa, you're just creating a mirage. You're creating, it's like a bubble. And the bubble will burst. It can't last. It can't be sustained. The only reality is Hashem. The only lasting reality is Hashem. When you create a reality based on distortion, when a Jew pretends not to be Jew, and a Jew is disconnected from himself, and he's taking holiness and transferring holiness, transforming holiness into the opposite of holiness, this can't last. This can't be sustained. It's unsustainable. It's it's bound to blow up. It's bound to erupt. It can't. But it's part of the distortion. Hashem gave us freedom of choice. We have that choice. We have freedom of will. So we could make a mess of things. But ultimately, in the long term, we can't change the basic equation. The basic equation is that Hashem is reality and holiness is reality. And a Jew is plugged in and connected with Hashem. And only then are we sustainable. Just like within the Jewish people as a whole. What he said earlier, that today we receive our life sustenance through Klippa. That's only every individual Jew. But if you talk about Klau Yisrael, the essence of the Jew, the core of the Jew, the essence of the Jew, the essence of the Jew is eternal. The Jewish people as a whole are so obviously connected to holiness. The only only reason we have survived for 3,800 years is only because of our connection to holiness. Take every Jew that's alive today, every living Jew, every last one has a picture of a great-grandparent, great-great-grandparent, probably a chassid with a beard, who's been Jewish without any interruption for 3,800 years. Even though they were many times, not most of the time, a minority. Every Jew that veered away from the Torah has disappeared in Jewish history. The Karaites, every group, every individual and group that have broken away from the Torah and from the oral Torah, disappeared every Jew that's alive today, it's only because they clung and they held on for dear life in the tree of life. Torah and Mitzvah, through thick and thin, through persecution, without any interruption, for thousands of years. It's almost impossible to find a fifth generation reform. There's no fifth generation reform. By that time, they're gone. They're not part of the Jewish people. They disappeared. Similarly, so our physical survival as Jews depends on our spirit On Torah mitzvah. There is no other. There is no other solution. There is no other way. Nothing else worked. We tried everything else. It doesn't work. Scientifically speaking, objectively speaking, there's only one way that works for the Jew: Torah mitzvah the more vibrant we are, the Jewish people as a whole, the more connected we are, the more, con- the more we study Torah, the more we do Mitzvot, then we survive and we thrive and we outlive the Hitlers of the world and we are successful. Other than that, we, we, we disappear. We don't stand a chance. We don't have a prayer. So for the Jewish people as a whole, this is always true. Our core is holiness. Our core is Godliness. And the more plugged in, the more connected, and the more obviously connected we are, that's the only thing that can guarantee our safety and security, physical safety, to survive as Jews. Otherwise, all those who are running away from Torah and Mitzvot, it doesn't work. They don't stand a chance. And look at, look at the facts. The children, the grandchildren, they disappear in a simile. It doesn't, doesn't last can't last. Because you can't divorce our physical well-being from our godly well-being, our Jewish well-being, our spiritual well-being. For a Jew, there's no dichotomy between physical and spiritual heaven and earth. It's only one reality. And the Jewish people as a whole, you see it openly and obviously. But that's only for Klaueh's whole, Jewish people as a whole. But after the destruction of the temple, every individual Jew, we receive our life sustenance through the uh, shell, the klipa. But the shell is a mixture. And it's up to us. We have a choice. We can transform and elevate it to, to the positive by leading a wholesome life, thinking and speaking and acting in a wholesome way. Or God forbid, we can choose the opposite. And then, we sustain the negativity because we take this powerful energy, because we're so plugged in, we take this powerful energy and we schlep it into the negative. And we sustain the negative, and then the neg- negativity thrives. Negative energy and negative forces in this world thrive and receive a shot in the arm. And that's why the Jew receives, receives his reward. But this can't last. This can't be sustained. Because holiness doesn't belong. doesn't belong there. It's a foreign. And ultimately the clipper will spit it out. The shell will spit it out. And every time the Jew tries to bend over backwards to assimilate and to be accepted and loved, it just backfires. In Germany, the Jews are more German than the Germans. Backfired in the worst way possible. Israel, since Oslo, has been twisting itself into a pretzel to be accepted and loved. It just completely backfired. They're arresting Jewish generals... The UN constantly condemns Israel. It doesn't doesn't work for us. So, temporarily, you may think it's working and you're having fun while the party lasts, but then the bubble bursts. It's a bubble. There's nothing there. There's no reality behind it. It's a complete distortion of reality, a grotesque distortion of reality, a grotesque distortion of the Jew, and a grotesque distortion and therefore, eventually, not only the bubble pops, but it backfires on the Jew. Because ultimately, everything in this world is really here, conspires to help the Jew. The whole purpose of Khalipa is here to help a Jew, to make a Jew more Jewish, not to take a Jew away from Hashem, on the contrary, there's nothing other but Hashem. Everything in this world is really just here to help us. So if we take things at face value, and not only do we take things at face value, we take Klippa and we expand it, and extend it and expand it to ways that even Klippa never even dared imagine such heights. You've completely degraded the That's The whole purpose of Klippa was only here to help the Jew. And now you've celebrated Klippa as an end in itself. And you're the chief celebrator and you're the chief. It completely backfires. And look, you know, it was the Jews who started communism. They almost destroyed half of the world. And who did Stalin go after? Right before he, right before he died? He was plotting to kill all the Jews. Jewish doctors. They turn on They turned on the Jew. Instead of being thankful, the Jew was the one who (laughs) invented communism, founding fathers, earlier generation. And yet, they completely turned on them and wanted to kill them. And throughout Jewish history, Purim is around the corner, same story. The Jew tried to assimilate. And they became very successful. even had connections in the palace. And they were thriving for a while. And overnight, the Persians turned to them, like the Nazis. And they wanted to annihilate every last Jewish man, woman, and child. It didn't matter if they were Hasidic. It didn't matter if they were reformed. It didn't matter if they were self-hating. It didn't. If they were atheists, if they were communists, socialists, every last Jewish man, woman, and child was going to be wiped out in the night. In one moment, one day, it doesn't work for us.
0: The fact that the Egyptians were
1: Egypt, Egypt, Egypt is different because Egypt taking the
0: holiness of the Jew to build the, the cities. Oh, the
1: building of the cities. That's why they. That's why they wanted. That's why it says they built uh, uh, brick. Yeah. Why was the main service in building brick yeah. versus stone? Because stone comes from Hashem. Brick shows on creativity, human creativity. That's why the Tower of Babel, there's no stones in Babylonia, there's no mountain. So there, the Tower of Babel was built with brick because it was the height of human creativity. They invented the brick so they can build in human genius, human creativity. So that's that's what, the building, that's what the bricks represent. It's taking the Jewish genius and harnessing Jewish genius instead of using Jewish genius to study Torah, study Tanya, and to figure out the deepest parts of Torah, taking Jewish genius and figuring out how to build Pisa and Ramses, how to use it for pare. And that's torture. That's the ultimate torture. For the soul. Because you can't get rid of your soul. It's so ironic, even the self hating they're so Jewish. I mean, if it wasn't sad, it would be so funny. Even in their rebellion and they're running away, they're so Jewish. The soul is there. There's no running away, there's no escaping. That's what he's saying here, the rope remains. The rope is there. I mean, even in this, in this grotesque distortion called Oslo. In the whole concept. Who even thinks like that? We have to do what's right for the Arabs. For the Palestinians. And therefore I'm going to endanger my wife. Endanger my children. A thousand Jews died. Ten thousand Jews crippled. Hundred thousand Jews were orphaned. But I have to do what's right. For the so-called Palestinians that don't exist. Never existed. Will never exist. And who even thinks like that? The rule number one of every human being, of every creature that exists from the Miba on up, is self-preservation, looking out for number one. There's one exception to this rule, and that's the Jew. Only the Jew says, no, we have to do what's right. We have to do what's right for the Palestinians. I'm going to endanger my wife, endanger my children. It's insane. It's insanity. No, one th- no normal person thinks like that. You preserve your family, you preserve your business, you preserve what you have. But even in their grotesque distortion, of course this is so un-Jewish, because it's, it's a distortion. We're giving up something that doesn't belong to us. It's not ours to give up. The whole thing is a lie. There isn't one shred of truth. To, it's, it, there, isn't, there isn't even one redeeming factor to this, whole, uh, to this whole farce. It's just a tragic lie that has only led to death and destruction, and desecration of Hashem's name, and desecration of the Jewish people. Israel has been completely devalued um, Jewish generals are arrested today um, Israel is completely delegitimized universities throughout the world and the media so it, it has completely backfired in every way possible but even in this grotesque distortion you see what a Jew is only a Jew can think like that because you can't get rid of the neshama the neshama is there if you don't use it for holiness the neshama will be used for other things who are the geniuses who came up with communism? A genius way of life that destroyed half of the world. And it's still functioning very well in North Korea. <laughs> People are starving to death. <laughs> right. I mean, only Jews. So when you take this genius and this creativity, and instead of using this genius and creativity to connect with Hashem and to express your Jewishness in a joyful way, in a proud way, you take this genius and you become self-hating. And you become filled with hatred. And so you, you, you create, you're taking this energy and you're using it for all the wrong reasons and it, it creates a terrible, terrible darkness. and a terrible. You unleash powerful forces of destruction. So in the beginning, while the party is still having the party, so you're noshing from it, you're benefiting from it. But eventually it turns destructive. Eventually it, it becomes self-destructive, and then the Jews are the first ones to suffer, as always. And then they wonder, why is the wrath turned against me? I'm more English than English. I'm more German than German. I'm a bigger guy than you. I hate Jews more than you do. I'm a bigger anti-Semite than you are. <laughs> okay, so you'll get a you'll get a first-class ticket to Auschwitz. <laughs> you'll, you'll. And they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't understand. They're confused. But ultimately it turns self-destructive. And it doesn't work. The only thing that works for Jews is Yiddishkeit. Jewishness. Torah and Mitzvah. There is nothing else. We don't have any other agendas. There's only one reality. There is no other reality. The only reality is the 613 mitzvah, The code of Jewish law. The rabbinic, the oral Torah, the rabbinic mitzvot, the Jewish customs, Jewish way of life. This is divine, this is godly, this is holy, and this is who we are. And there is nothing else. And the more we channel all our energies and harness all our energies and plug in the holiness and we choose to live a wholesome life, then the whole world becomes clear. Instead of the world being distorted and filled with hatred, suddenly the world becomes clear. If we are clear, the world becomes clear. And when the world is clear, Kalipa is not negative. Kalipa becomes transformed. becomes elevated and transformed. And then it becomes see-through. And then godliness becomes clear. And sanity becomes clear. And goodness becomes clear. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project.
0: More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.